So I was looking at some of our podcast metrics last night. Weird twist. We now have more listens from Seattle than anywhere else. Seattle? Yeah, including our home state of Georgia, where our friends and family are listening. So huge shout out to the folks in Seattle that are listening to the podcast right now. I don't know who you are. I wish you would reach out, but thank you. Hopefully we'll be able to crank out some more content for you. Seattleians? Seattleites? Seattleites sounds like satellites, so I'm going with that. <laughs> Seattleinians. <laughs> sounds like a... <laughs> Like the Elamites, like some <laughs> random fucking group. Like they have a statue of Marduk <laughs> next to a Starbucks or something out there. I was taken aback by it. Uh, the fact that any other state has surpassed Georgia already is pretty, pretty cool. So thanks, guys. Thanks. We've started playing tabletop games again. I say that. We played once. <laughs> um, but trying Pathfinder the 2nd edition. That's super fun. It's like Bronze Age inspired. So less like Lord of the Rings and more like Helen of Troy kind of vibe. So <laughs> it's fun. It's cool. Fun. Yeah, I saw your tweet the other day and I was like, hooray. <laughs> Twat. <laughs> Cut that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Real Specific, everybody! It's still Spooktober. It's week three of four. If you're new to the podcast, I don't know why you haven't listened to our other two October episodes yet, but go do that. This one's a weird one. If you're new to the podcast, we are Real Specific. This is where each month we pick a very specific subgenre of movie and dive into a few examples of that subgenre. This month, it is Haunted Item Horror, and this week, we're talking about Rubber 2011, directed by Quentin Dupieux. Que de bosom, je suis Quentin Dupont. I think that's how it goes. <laughs> One day I'm going to get a lot of emails from Canadians and French people who are like, your accent fucking sucks. And I'm like, yeah, I'm from South Georgia and never took French. So <laughs> I don't know what to do with all those letters. There's a lot of them. Uh, I'm pretty sure you just don't pronounce most of them because that's French, apparently. <laughs> that seems to be the, the trick. No offense, but I guess offense also. <laughs> Yes, offense. Silent letters are stupid. I'm talking about English, too. English is fucking retarded, so... It sounds so cool, though. It, is, it makes me want to talk about wine and how fancy I am. And then, you know, it got started with, like, the French Gauls, who are, like, Vikings Alpha edition. So there's some badass origins in there. You go back for I'm enough. waiting for the fancy party that I go to where you do an entire toast in French, just so I can be like, What, you think you're fucking fancy? And you can be like, but it's a French toast. It's a French toast. <laughs> and then everyone go, yuck, 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 yuck. <laughs> My crowning achievement. God, I, I'm still so very sorry about our September episodes. Um, <laughs> But I think so far, I hate this movie, but the other two of Spooktober have been fantastic films. Wonderful, engaging stories with some even some comedy thrown in. And this is about it's about a tire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to mention very briefly, we've this month so far, we've done Oculus directed by Mike Flanagan and The Cabin in the Woods directed by Drew Goddard. We had a haunted mirror 
and then a mm -hmm. haunted magical diary of a young girl. Mm -hmm. Oculus, very ooky spooky, very creepy, very good. Followed by The Cabin in the Woods, which is a dark comedy horror, which is really fun and done really well. Chef's kiss. This week's movie, once again, any any French people are going to fucking hate me for this episode because I'm going to be, I don't know, maligning the French a lot <laughs> this week. But uh, French directors make weird fucking movies historically and this is no exception it's fucking weird it in my opinion i like this movie a lot but i know a lot of people also hate it a lot of people think it's boring a lot of people don't get the humor i do get the humor unfortunately i liked this movie more before i started reading stuff from the director so yeah and and right as or right before maybe we started recording we kind of put it on the table that I did not enjoy this movie at all. <laughs> and I think, Jake, you you did and do find some positive enjoyment out of it. And so I think we might, you know, our perspectives on what we got from the movie may be different, but I think we'll be able to talk through. I, it'll be interesting to see what parts you enjoyed and what parts I didn't enjoy and why. So I'm going to let you describe this entire opening sequence that we have, because I think how on board a person is with this opening sequence, I think will kind of determine how on board you are for the entire movie. There, There's going to be parts that I think almost everyone dislikes. And even the mm -hmm. director himself says like, yeah, certain beats in the movie go on way too long and certain things, the timing is just off. His basic excuse was, look, I wrote, directed, I filmed it, I edited it, I did all this shit and we had a very small budget and we filmed in 14 days which i will say is a very short window to make a feature length film it is i don't know it's a lot of excuses i understand it and when you're working with a small budget on a short timeline it's very hard to get exactly what you want but you probably shouldn't say that kind of shit in interviews <laughs> especially with the wall street journal just saying <laughs> That's a really good point that this opening scene kind of has a message to the audience. And I think either you buy into it or you say, okay, like I'll bite. Let's see how this plays out. Or you just, as I do, just like disagree. I just disagree. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll get into the, the opening a little bit, but it seems to culminate in this sort of like this idea and phrase that's repeated that is no reason. And a lot of the stuff that happens in this before that message is communicated to the audience, there's a lot of stuff that you're asking why, what, because it's weird stuff and you're wondering, what is the reason for this? Why is this happening? <laughs> What's the justification? What's the explanation? And at the end of it, it's no reason. And especially because we personally talk about dominoes a lot when we're talking yeah. about movies, uh, which if you're new here, dominoes are basically our shorthand for setup and payoff. Mm -hmm. This movie, while it has some dominoes, generally the reasoning behind it is there is no reason. Yeah, like dominoes are set up, but instead of them being set up in a line where you knock one over and they kind of like coagulate into a narrative, they just fall over and nothing 
happens. It just happened. There's just a domino out there. Or it doesn't fall over, and it's just sitting there. Instead of being a long string of dominoes that creates a picture for you at the end, instead it's like two or three dominoes next to each other that all knock each other down, and then there's another set of two dominoes beside that that don't connect, and then another two and another two and another two. And it goes on like that. <laughs> and so there's no cohesive... Thing holding it all together, which is upsetting for a lot of people, and I understand that. And it seems to be in, intentional, which is something I find interesting. Mm -hmm. So the scene opens up. There's a bunch of chairs that are scattered seemingly randomly. There's this guy in like a button-down and a tie, and he's holding like 20 binoculars. <laughs> These pairs of binoculars. I'm like, what the hell is this about? You see a car that drives up, and it slowly weaves back and forth hitting every single chair, which uh, the slightest nudge just causes it to collapse each chair. And this car knocks over like, I don't know, 10 chairs? I don't know how many, but something like that. Finally swerves up to the stop and the trunk opens up. A guy in a sheriff's uniform gets out and like walks up, walks past the car, takes off his sunglasses and gives it to the driver of the car who hands him a glass of water. And all of this, you're just like, okay, what are the chairs for? Why are they aligned in this weird arrangement? Why is this car knocking over every chair? Why is this car parked here? Why did the trunk come out? Why is this guy in the trunk? Like, it's all just like, why, 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 why? And why did it take almost a five full minutes of watching the car slowly weave left and right to hit every chair? <laughs> By the way, I did want to say really quick, the actor driving the car got a stunt driving credit at the end for this as well he's he's just an actor and he plays one of the cops that works for the sheriff but yeah he got a stunt driver hey. for credit so good for him <laughs> you know pad that cv you know get it while you can mm -hmm. i guess but the car pulls up cock gets out grabs the water or whatever starts talking at the camera to the audience like almost directly breaking the fourth wall which happens a lot in this film like it seems to be a major theme absolutely i can see how if you're really into filmography or the study of film or something like that you could this might be a more interesting film but he basically asked you know why is et brown why did someone shoot jfk in that movie why in the chain hall chainsaw massacre we didn't see them go to the bathroom <laughs> and just gave a big list of why things did or didn't happen in these other movies and his answer was no reason so i don't know if i'm gonna put in the entire opening speech that he gives because it is kind of long but i'm I'm going to put in at least a section of it right here. In Love Story, why did the two characters fall madly in love with each other? No reason. I could go on for hours with more examples. The list is endless. You probably never gave it a thought, but all great film, without exception, contain an important element of no reason. And you know why? Because life itself is filled with no reason. Why can't we see the air all around us? No reason. Why are we always thinking? No reason. Why do some people love sausages and other people hate sausages? No fucking reason. Come on, don't waste your time explaining that garbage. Let's go. Just a minute, let me finish. Ladies, gentlemen, the film you are about to see today is an homage to the no reason, that most powerful element of style. Pretty much. Everything he mentions, in those films, they have a purpose. You, you want to know why E.T. is brown? Because he's representing illegal aliens. <laughs> it's an alien representing aliens, obviously. Mm -hmm. Why does JFK get... It's a fucking historical <laughs> movie. 
Right. Uh, why don't we see people going to the bathroom washing their hands in a horror movie because it's not needed and all we're trying to do is hit our 90 minutes in a horror movie. Come on, guys. The, the pianist yeah. thing. Why Why does he have to hide and live like a bum? Because he's a Jew being chased down by Nazis, you fucking asshole. <laughs> like, all of these things have reason. And that's why the first time I saw this movie and especially this time rewatching it, the whole time he's giving that speech, I'm like, okay, so all of these things have a reason. All the things he's mentioning mm -hmm. here, except for maybe the Chainsaw Massacre. Why don't we see them go to the bathroom and wash their hands? Like, that might be the only no reason thing. That made me think, okay, this director is working on another level. He is pointing out things he knows have a reason while saying that they don't have a reason. Basically telling mm -hmm. you every time you question in this movie, why did that happen? No reason. Instead, you should be looking for a reason, which I think is smart, whether he intended it that way or not. I think it's smart. Mm -hmm. And also that way you could write an entire script with no reason behind the plot and still have your audience actively engaged, questioning every step of the plot. That's that'll be interesting to go through and see what reasons you found, because he, he goes on that spiel about these movies and they don't have a reason, but they actually kind of do. And he ties it to why? Because life has no reason. You know, why is why can't we see air and why this and that and these other things? No reason. And that whole like pitch I fundamentally disagreed with. And maybe you're supposed to. You know, like you said, like maybe you're supposed to be like, well, all these things do have reasons. But I think that, you know, we'll get into the rating system at the end, but I <laughs> kind of feel like this conversation, you maybe spotted things I didn't spot. And if this was a meal, it might feel like, you know, something I could you learn from or gain from. But it's like a like drink this vinegar, <laughs> like drink, you know, a, a jellyfish stung the inside of your mouth somehow. Drink this vinegar. You learn from it and you gain from it. But the, the experience wasn't pleasant and it wasn't necessary. <laughs> so that's kind of my perspective. I hope that doesn't throw anybody off from who does enjoy this film, because I could see if you know more about how film processes work you might enjoy it more than that. so where the very i think frenchness of this movie comes in is the subplot which is your sheriff having this kind of stand-in audience that we're about to be introduced to watching what the basically the tire story they're watching it from afar right. And so this is kind of your subplot to your main movie which is the tire and what the tire is doing the very Frenchness of it is basically a director commenting on the relationship between artist, art, and audience. That is very clear from start to finish. And the question really is, what is the message he's trying to get across? What is he trying to say about audiences of people enjoying his art specifically? And what does he think of his own art as an artist? It becomes a really tangled mess of feelings and emotion whether he meant it to be or not and mm -hmm. this is where i have to talk about the director a little bit quentin Dupieux. i found one article of him actually talking about rubber and it's from the wall street journal back in uh november 2010 he basically said that he figured out his artist brain works better when he's not thinking about the reasoning behind what he's making he said he found if he thought about it too much it came off as pretentious bullshit that he didn't want it to be. So he wanted to write a script where he just stopped thinking about motivation and stopped thinking about this and that, 
and he wrote this tire story. That's when he realized when he got to the end of it, it was only about a 40-page script, so he felt the need to add a subplot to make it a feature-length film, and that's where we get all of this other weirdness that eventually became the whole director-audience-art dynamic. My problem with the director is the whole time he's just like, oh yeah, I wanted to make something without thinking. Just make something mm -hmm. fun that the audience could sit down for 90 minutes and have fun with. The problem is, you still made the first 20 or 30 minutes of this movie slow as fuck, so a lot of people are going to turn it off before they get to the fun parts. You know, and once it did get into... The, the fourth wall is broken very, very early, right in the opening of the film. But uh, towards the middle and second half of the film, it gets broken more and more often and more and more obviously. And so it does get me questioning, like, okay, what is the metaphor here? Like, what is this turkey represent like what does that mean <laughs> you know if those that that represents the audience me why what does this mean to me those interesting questions are brought up but you're right the first half is just like do we need 10 examples of demonstrating how the tire can kill <laughs> right. like i feel like two or three would have been fine uh, so i'm sorry i'm sorry i had to interrupt your explanation of the very opening here for all of that but let's continue with the story and we'll dive in more as we go along <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, that that was basically the culmination of there is no reason, this is an homage to no reason, and then we see the audience and we learn that, that this audience in the film watching through binoculars, the tire, are a representation of the audience, us, I think, who watch <laughs> the movie, maybe? It's a pretty diverse audience. It kind of reminds me of what a test screening audience would be. They're trying to find someone from every background and every age group so they can get feedback from these people and find out, you know, what age groups are we going to fit with? What age groups are we not? Um, something our podcast could really use because apparently we hit really well with the 28 to 32 demographic and nothing else. Um, <laughs> but That is a very narrow window. <laughs> yeah. that, it's, it's people... At our age, I mean, we are right in the middle of that age group, so it kind of makes sense, but uh, I don't know. I was hoping we'd be a little more diverse than that. <laughs> oh, well, who cares? I'm just saying, if somebody like Disney were putting together a test group, this group is pretty average, considering of what a test screening would look like. That's an interesting point. There is, yeah, it's it's a pretty diverse group in age and gender and race and sex and all that stuff. Yeah, not not as much on the race aspect, but this was 2011 before everyone was obsessed with that. So, mm. you know, it, it, whatever. I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> so maybe it's more of like a a test screener audience representation and not a general audience. Who knows? There's a bunch of people, they're watching through binoculars. Yeah, exactly. And But it does have that audience at a theater kind of feel where some people are just talking to each other about the movie openly. Other people are like, hey, y'all shut the fuck up. I'm trying to watch this movie. Other people are just trying to figure out what the fuck is happening and why. We, they were literally told up front, there is no reason. So why the fuck are you still asking questions? That kind of shit. So they're the audience, they're watching, and they start watching what? And that's the story of the tire. There's a lot, 
God, there's like 10 minutes of like desert and looking at garbage and finally get to a tire. Comes out of the ground. It starts moving around. It's kind of Roomba style at first. It's running into stuff and it kind of backs off and turns around. And it eventually, it falls over a couple times and eventually kind of gets its footing and starts moving normally. And And I have to say, this is amazing visual storytelling. I mean, if you were doing a short film about a sentient tire, this is pretty amazing because you're seeing it wake up and it's trying to move on its own and it's really bad at it at first it keeps falling over and it's wobbly and it can't go straight and eventually it gets more control and more control leading up until later way later in the movie where it actually finds a mirror and it's looking at itself as if what am i who am i Mm -hmm. it's an entire character progression of a character who literally cannot speak but has complete agency it's so well done but it's slow and takes forever. <laughs> and it's a tire. And and maybe that's the whole point with this reason thing is like, I'm like, cool visual storytelling, bro, but it's just a tire. Like, why does this doesn't matter? There's no reason. You know, I'll put that those feelings on hold. The tire's moving around. It, it tests a water bottle in an interesting way and eventually it runs over like it kind of seems to enjoy it so like yeah like you're right like the story the visual storytelling is there it runs over a scorpion eventually hits a glass bottle that it can't run over and break the bottle's too strong um and so then it breaks it psychically or however you whatever the correct term for it is demonstrating it can do that and eventually you know it's continuing down the path and eventually gets to a road and it kills several other things a rabbit and a crow i I love that rabbit fucking exploding (laughs) when things explode in this movie it is fucking glorious as a as a horror nerd i just love it when you can have a still shot of a rabbit sitting there wrinkling its nose up and down and then really quickly cut to a fake bunny exploding with blood and viscera everywhere (laughs) and even referencing it later when the little boy in the audience group everyone's starving because they haven't had food and he comes back and he's like i got the rabbit that the tire killed rabbit's good to eat right and everybody's just like can't you tell it's fucking fake (laughs) like it's a movie obviously the dead rabbit part is fake (laughs) yeah it and that was just another example of like the wall is broken and i can see the look on your face and how exasperated you are already with with this fourth wall breaking bullshit i know and maybe it's just i don't know maybe it's more of a movie nerd kind of movie maybe that's the problem i don't know but it's very weird it's very odd and it's meant for i think it's a little too much meant for those artsy, pretentious assholes, which I don't consider myself one of those, but I know I can be that way sometimes, so maybe that's why it speaks to me. I don't know. I think that is interesting, and I'd like to, maybe by the end of this conversation, we can have some reason. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Stop Look looking me. for reason. <laughs> I'm looking for it for every, but some sort of justification of why you enjoyed this and why I so very much did not. <laughs> The tire, it's going about its day. There is kind of a weird and interesting where they're playing happy fun times music as it's going through the desert, killing shit, gets to a road. There's a woman in a car and it kills the car, like turns it off or kills the battery or whatever. Car comes to a stop. The tire's rolling towards it to kill her or the car or whatever you presume. And this guy in a truck is fiddling something isn't watching runs into the tire and shoots it off the side and almost hits the girl in the car but swerves around and continues going 
the girl's car starts back up and she drives ahead. The tire eventually gets up and continues and chases them into the town. And this is where our tire's obsession with the girl starts to play. I don't truly... I mean, it definitely speaks to schlocky horror stuff of your psychotic killer guy getting obsessed with the girl, following her around, watching her, spying in on her while she's taking a shower, and all of this kind of stuff. Definitely following some, like, serial killer schlocky horror stuff, but I, it's a tire. So it's, it, yeah. I understand a lot of people are not gonna see the emotion with it, but I honestly think the puppeteering of the tire was done well enough to portray its thoughts and emotions so i don't know maybe i'm the only one no i i definitely picked up on the this tire is creeping on this girl you know she's an attractive whatever 20 something or female mm -hmm. and she gets into this shitty motel room starts taking a shower with the door cracked whatever yeah. and this yeah this tire is creeping on her but and i definitely got that vibe what is schlocky I don't know that term. Okay, um, what's a good way to describe the term schlocky? Um, generally, it's used for stuff like action movies that just do what you expect action movies to do and be over the top, and you probably need a better def dictionary definition of it, but... Cheap or inferior goods or material. Trash. It, like campy? What does no, campy mean? it's just cheap and trashy. Yeah, that's pretty much what you're going okay. for. It's it's the easy way to do things when you don't have any original ideas of your own. Okay. You just do the yeah. thing that's been done a thousand times before as cheaply serial and trashy killer. as possible. Yeah, okay. So serial killer creeping on attractive female, tire does it as well. Okay, lucky. And, and it. it was a cheap way to get nudity into your horror movie, you know? It, it was just a good, clean shot of that girl's ass through the <laughs> through the doorway, but you also get the audience commenting on it and everything else, and it it is just that horror movie thing of, well, we gotta stick nudity in there. I mean, I literally take a point off of horror movies for not having nudity, and it's because that's such a staple of the genre, it's something you have mm. to have, and you almost have to find a way to plug it in there. Yeah, and we... I think it was last episode or the episode before. At some point in the last couple episodes, you briefly went over kind of why. When you first mentioned that on the horror, I was like, why? That seems like a weird thing to put in. But it's not, to me, it, it's not on the list because I want to see nudity. It's on the list because there's connotations in the genre with like sin and, and innocence and stuff like that that I don't fully comprehend. But it's not just I want boobs. <laughs> It's I want boobs, but I want them to have a reason. <laughs> I always play it as just I want boobs because I'm mm -hmm. doing a character of a shitty guy watching films all the time. But honestly, there is a reasoning behind it, and there always should be a reasoning behind it when you're going to make art. So what was that? You hear me. I know. I know we're going to we're going to be contradicting ourselves throughout this entire thing. And I'm fine with that. That's the thing is in horror movies, almost all of them do it, whether they understand the reasoning behind it or not, because your cheap schlocky movies like, let's say, trauma films and shit like that. They just throw in nudity for nudity's sake because they're disgusting mm -hmm. directors who want to see boobies, whereas good films they know that you need that girl to get naked right here to show that she is 
corrupt, sinful, dirty, however you want to put it, and therefore she deserves to die, or it's more okay for her to die, while our virginal last girl can sit on the sidelines until she takes up responsibility to take control of the situation. We These are things we've gone into in the past couple of episodes as well, so I'm not wanting to del delve into it too much, especially in this movie where, once again, everything happens for no reason. Yeah, and I really just brought it up, and I'm glad you kind of summarized it a, it a little bit there, because the audience, the binocular people, also kind of comment on it. And there's some guys that are just commenting on like the physical part of it, and there's other people that are offended by that. And I don't remember if there's anyone... There's a, there's a lot of people that just don't say anything. Like, it's just part of the story they're watching. But it does, again, that fourth wall is broken. And I love that the two teenage girls in the audience are the ones who, like, want everyone to shut up so they can focus on the movie. It's the most unrealistic thing in this entire movie. I would believe in a tire with psychokinetic powers that it could explode heads before I would believe two teenage girls weren't talking through an entire movie. <laughs> I do love that part of the movie where the little boy says like, oh, it has psychic powers. And someone's like, eh, you know, psychopompous or whatever. He's like, I don't care about the correct term. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, I don't care about the correct terminology. It has some power. Our, our two nerd characters are great, and you'll recognize the two actors probably not by name. One of them played Fat Neil in Community. He's he's a known side character actor, but he pops up and stuff. He actually just popped up in the latest episode of The Boys for a very short, really? hot minute. Uh, I just got caught up yes. on The Boys today. I just watched it last night. I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. yes. That's that oh same actor and Fat Neil from oh. Community. And he's in this. So good job for that guy for still getting small, shitty roles and stuff. But he is very fucking good in everything I've seen him in. So. In The Boys, I know it's a fairly short scene, but like he did a really good job in my opinion. Fuck yeah. Yeah, he did really well. So, okay, so, so far this sentient tire has woken up, and this first segment seems like, to me, in my opinion, experimental. It's figuring it out, that it can move and direct itself, it can run over stuff, it can kill stuff, but it doesn't seem, like, malicious, per se. It just seems to be doing it, maybe? So, in my mind, while I was watching this, I watched this last weekend with a friend uh, who was in town. The whole time I was like, just imagine yourself as a tire. You can't feel anything. You... If you have emotions, you aren't, like, raised by anyone. As far as we know, this tire literally just gained sentience. We don't know if it's, like, a human spirit that lived an entire life and then became a tire, or if it was just somehow magically granted sentience out of nothingness. Which, if it was, mm -hmm. it's teaching itself through these small experiences it has while rolling through the harsh environment of a desert. So as far as it knows, everything in the world is uncaring, unemotional, either you kill or be killed. And apparently it has a lot of fun killing, so that creates your perfect mass killer. Yeah, and maybe this is sort of a drawing, and this is me trying to find reasons that <laughs> this is, is this the equivalent of if this was a serial killer movie, you know, as a child, it's killing animals. And at some point, something tips them over the edge, like the man who hit him with a, his truck, and then the tire kills its first person by blowing his head up. And then we have the next phase I that I'm calling in the movie where the tire 
gets a little more like a dynamic, an, an additional dimension is added to it where it sees this beautiful woman and it doesn't just kill it immediately. It becomes fascinated by it and it starts watching TV and spying on her and she took a shower so it's going to take a shower and you can't question, it's hard to understand, you can't know what the psyche of the tire is is it just fascinated and says oh these people are more than just things i can kill they do things that i don't understand and i'm going to learn about them and maybe they're not so bad you know this one's beautiful look at her <laughs> and then at some point later in the movie it seems to think people are bad and goes on a rampage well i i think it speaks to the whole no one treats it as a sentient being every time it encounters mm -hmm. a person one on one they just freak the fuck out because it's a tire that's moving on its own. <laughs> and if you do see it doing anything, it's blowing people's heads up and shit like that. So, yeah, they treat it like a monster and he becomes the monster they think he is. When they see it killing, they yeah, they become, they start to treat it as a monster. There's also a few moments when it's spying on the girl in the pool and she gets up and walks away and she walks right past it. But she completes it, ignores it, because it's a tire. You know, does that say something? There's no reason to any of this <laughs> bullshit. There's a point that's interesting where you flash to the we this weird guy. That's why I called this character the entire time. He's the weird guy, and he's in the motel, and he's polishing his shoes, and he's being very meticulous about it. Gets a phone call, who he refers to as the master. You don't hear that person's voice, but he says, yes, yes, it'll be done in the morning. And then there's a turkey in the room, and it fades to black as, the, as he opens up a briefcase with, like, knives and a bunch of vials of who knows what, and presumably kills or eats or does something to the turkey. Which you find out the next day he. <laughs> this shit is wild. <laughs> Just walks to the hill where the binocular people are watching the tire with this duffel bag, and he just turns it upside down and just yells "food," and it fall. This cooked turkey, Thanksgiving turkey, just falls into the sand, and everyone besides who I call the veteran—I don't even know if he is a veteran—the guy in the wheelchair. Mm -hmm. Everyone besides him just dig into this turkey ravenously like animals. It's fucking hilarious. It's I do think it's a very clear commentary on what a lot of artists think of the audience. It's just a bunch of stupid animals watching my art and they mm. won't get it. They won't understand it because they're stupid fucking animals. According to the director, he didn't mean for any of this to mean anything. This is according to him in a fucking interview with Wall Street Journal is how he wrote all of this and yet didn't mean it to mean anything. But at the same time, it feels like he was really pissed off about his first movie only being put in French theaters and not getting a big turnout. It sounded to me like he was just really pissy about how his first feature-length film went, and so he made something just to look at the audience and call them all a bunch of shitty fuckbags. You can't really know anything, right? But we as a species are incredibly good at finding and giving meaning to things that maybe don't have meaning. When I play D&D in games like that, you roll a dice and you make five or eight or 12 or whatever it is mean something after the effect. We're very good at creating narratives. Even our dreams, they can be crazy as hell. While we're in them, we find a narrative in them. And, and so maybe this guy was Walt Whitman and Leaves of Grass just writing a script without trying 
but subconsciously there was a narrative there? Or are we as an audience attributing meaning to the film that he didn't intend on purpose? And I have no idea what the answer is. Speaking as the writer side of myself, I think no matter what it is you write or create, whether you meant for it to mean something or not, some meaning is going to come out of it that is a truth for your inner self. Whether you meant to do it or not, some inner truth mm -hmm. is going to come out. And I think his inner truth was that he hated audiences and he hated non-artistic people who were viewing what he views as high art and not understanding it. Whether he meant to or not, I think that's what he ended up with. And I can buy into that, and maybe that sort of underpins the whole nothing has meaning thought at the very opening, but I could buy that when you create anything, by necessity it's coming from you and is built off of all of your knowledge and past experiences. So you can't, there's no way for it not to be a reflection of that in some way. And for some meaning to come out of it. Now, I think arguably very little meaning co could come <laughs> out of it or very useless meaning could come out of it. But I do think it still is a reflection of you in some manner, even if it's useless. Now, I, I will say most oftentimes when you are writing something and you're trying, quote unquote, to not think about it too hard or whatever, those are when your most base feelings really pour out of you. For instance, not to get hashtag too real in here or anything, but... Several years ago, I was in a dark place and I wrote a fucking very shitty short novel that I made you and a couple of other friends of mine read. And uh, it turned out to be a much bigger form of therapy than it did anything else because I was just writing feelings that I had buried deep within me onto paper. And it, it made me feel better, but it turned out to be a really shitty story that I don't think very many people would want to read. It would take a lot of work to make it into something most people would enjoy. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think that's what he was doing, whether he realized it or not. He was trying to not think and therefore ended up just kind of spouting out a bunch of bullshit that he really needed to get out of his system. Yeah, and it's almost like some of these creative processes are maybe not as good for creating something for public consumption and maybe are better as an exercise to better or improve or understand more about yourself. You know, Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass that I referenced that I think it's called Transcendentalism. I don't know. I'm not a literature person, but apparently just like wrote. Now, Walt Whitman has very interesting experiences and a backdrop that maybe for public consumption, you could read it and it's interesting. But if you've tried to read it, it's a it's just a stream of consciousness. I think that's the literature literary term. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, you maybe some people can identify with it. And a lot of people maybe are just like, this is just a bunch of words. And maybe there is meaning in here, but I don't want to read this entire thing to find one nugget of, of wisdom. But for Walt Whitman, it might have been huge, like therapy, like you mentioned, right. for him personally. I, I think that's how this story played out for Mr. Depew. I think it means a lot for him, whether he wants to admit it or not. I think that I think he was a little upset with the very mixed reviews that this movie got. And I think that's why he comes up with a lot of excuses when he's doing interviews. To get back to the movie and kind of work through it a little bit, we're about to get to a point where, in my opinion, it kind of switches from the tire being the main story to the fourth wall is completely shattered as if it wasn't already. And that's kind of the main story. So the tire has been watching this woman 
there's the maid who opens and finds it taking a shower and she just throws it out because she's like, why? Who left a tire here? She's trying to clean the room up. We see the weird guy who talks to quote unquote master, who's maybe the director. I don't know in this weird metaphor. And then the audience tears into the turkey and then they, in a few minutes, all of them get sick and apparently we're going to find out. Die. If I'm going to dive into this metaphor, the sheriff guy is the director. The master is the subconscious of the writer director telling them what to do. And the accountant or attendant, whichever the creepy guy who attends to the audience and poisons them and everything, that's the piece of the director who is using an audience as a means to an end and wanting to just get rid of them after they hear things they don't like. That would be my deep delve into this metaphor, which has no meaning, as we keep being told. So I'll leave it at that. That's as much as I want to get into that whole thing. I think, yeah, I think that's fair because like you said there, I don't think there's any answer anyone could come up with that is going to be agreeable across any large majority of any people. So there's no point in doing it. And all I'll say is the lady doth protest too much. When they keep telling you there is no reason, there is no reason, there is no reason, there's absolutely a fucking reason. Just shut up. Mm. <laughs> just, just make your goddamn movie and get on with it. So the audience is poisoned and dies, except for where we'll find out one. So the sheriff... And the cops get to the motel. They're investigating the murder because someone's dead. And they're like, what's going on? And a timer goes off. And he's like, oh, ding, ding, ding. It's been X hours. All the audience is dead. None of this matters anymore. Thank you. And we get this weird dynamic where the the sheriff is aware that there's a fourth wall. And the rest of the characters don't seem to be aware of this. He's very much like, okay, like, time's up. It's been great working with you all. Thank you so much. You can go home. This isn't this distinction between real life and not real life. This distinction between the characters and the actors. And he seems to be the only one that's really aware of that. This is where I really start to enjoy this movie. And I think it really comes into its own because it goes from this very weird, almost experimental seeming movie to now we're just in Ludicrous Town where one of the characters is telling all the other characters, yeah, you guys are hired actors. What are you talking about, Dave? Or whatever the fuck the sheriff's name is. Yeah, you're all hired actors. Don't worry, the movie's over. You can all go home, go back to your families. And then he like makes one of the co other cops shoot him multiple times and just fucking squibs are going off and he's covered in fake blood. And he's like, see, it's all fake. Until he realizes there is still one audience member out there still watching and therefore we have to continue on with this performance because there's still an audience. So kind of speaking back to the, all the metaphors and meaning behind it, now he's just making art because someone's watching. He's no longer making art because he wants to, he's doing it because he has mm -hmm. to. And this is where everything starts to fall off the rails. Yeah, so... <laughs> Love yeah. the disappointment well, just to, on your face. <laughs> just think of how to like, you know, meaningfully talk about this. Fucking okay, you're, so you're not alone the, in this. Sheriff, I'm sure, like, seventy to eighty percent of the people who watch this movie feel the exact same way you do. <laughs> I'm in the minority here, and I know this. <laughs> yeah. So the sheriff, you know, finds out. Okay, there is an audience member. And because someone's watching, this is still a performance and it is real. So now I'm still in real land. 
where the not real stuff is real and the let's go home is is not real. Real life is not real. Whatever. And he keeps trying to point out, like, oh, you have a stuffed alligator under your arm. Like, this isn't real life. And the guy's like, so? <laughs> because he's in character. And now the sheriff is like, shit, I have to go back into being character as being real life. <sighs> so there's an investigation. He gets word from the script or something. The sheriff and says, oh, the killer is a tire. And and like, I was like, OK, that's the script. I guess we have to go through it. Go through with it. <laughs> It's just him slowly pulling the script out of his pocket, reading through it real quick, and then reading a line just deadpan as shit, as if it was the first time he's ever seen that line. Oh God, the kid was right. The killer is a tire. Because he wasn't supposed to get this far into the script. <laughs> it's so fucking hilarious to me. Because how many movies have we watched, Klaus, where I'm just like, Oh, what is that? The script on the floor beside you? Is that why this is happening? Because the script said it and no other goddamn reason? Yeah, it, that's exactly what's happening in the scene. They have to continue with their investigation. Meanwhile, we'll take we have a brief reprival where the weirdo, as I call him, the attendant or the accountant or whoever, brings all this fancy food to the veteran, as I call him, who's the only audience member left watching, trying to feed him poisoned food. And the veteran's like, no, I'm not hungry. Could you just let me watch in peace? Eventually, weirdo starts talking about his life and how he killed his brother. And while he's munching on the food, he gets poisoned. There's a very long, multiple-minute scene of him dying of poison. Eventually, he dies. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, now that whole part, I don't fucking get. Maybe it's the the writer just giving up, finally. <laughs> like, like, subconsciously killing itself because the one audience member won't give up, even though they know that the art they created was shit. <laughs> That, maybe that's it because the whole time he is telling him like why are you so interested in this it's stupid it has no meaning and the guy goes i know it's bad but i'm enjoying it i'm having fun and i just want that to continue it's too much to even try and parse through at this point it's it's gotten so many layers on it that none of it makes sense anymore and this is why writing with quote-unquote no reason doesn't work yeah. And so trying to parse out the tire goes on a rampage and kills a ton of people throughout the town. We are exposed to a the cops are trying to follow it. It kills some of the cops and then eventually kills a ton of people in the town. Well, it sees that tire fire where they're just that's what sets burning a fucking acre or two worth of tires all at once, which looks ridiculous. But the tire is finally like, oh, these humans are killing my kind. <laughs> and so it just goes on a rampage, killing every person that crosses its path. And like I said, the whole story has just gone off the rails now. So we get a big montage of a bunch of people dead throughout this little shitty town. And then we get this weird scene of there's a mannequin who's who looks like 
the attractive woman with like same haircut and stuff set up outside of the motel room where the tire's staying. And they have this whole weird plan that they're staked out in a van nearby and she's reading lines through a microphone asking the tire to kill her because she, there's diamond dynamite in the mannequin. They're hoping will set off and explode the tire. And while they're doing this and it's not working and the director tries to get on the line and, and do it and it's not working and there's a knock at the door and it's the veteran and he's just like, this scene isn't working. And they're like, what do you mean? It's a, it's bait. He's like, yeah, I get that part, but why? Like, why don't you just kill it? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Speed this up. <laughs> But he's he's right. I mean, everything about and once again, the director admitted himself. Certain parts of this movie go on too long, and it gets boring, and blah blah blah. And this is one of those scenes that just like it keeps going and keeps going, and eventually you're just like, oh my god, can we just have a big shootout with the tire already? Either that, or give me more heads exploding. That shit's funny and awesome. But no, we have to listen to. The sheriff, quote unquote, the director, I'm assuming, sit here and write out these really horrible lines. And this poor actress has to read them through a microphone. And she's just like, I, I don't get it. Why do I have to be so mean? He's just like, shut up and read the lines. Yeah, and I very much downplayed how long that scene takes. <laughs> I covered it in like 30 seconds. It took many more minutes than that. At some point, the tire does blow up her head, but it doesn't set off the dynamite. And so the director at this point is like, fucking hell, gets a shotgun and like goes in there and just pow, 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 pow to just kill it. And the audience member, the veteran, you know, he's nearby watching it. And he's like, oh, OK, you can't just do it yourself or whatever. Well, it was unsatisfying, right? It was too quick. Unsatisfying. And ending, we didn't yeah. even really get to see it. He just walks in the house. It was off screen. You hear the gunshots and he comes out with a fucking shredded tire and throws it at the audience members. It's like, there, you got what you wanted. It's over. <laughs> and then moments later, we hear the squeaky whatever of a tricycle riding out. And he's like, oh, look, it reincarnated <laughs> or whatever, transferred its possessions into another object. Now it's this. <laughs> and there's this, it, there's this sort of, I hesitate to call this any moment of this film interesting <laughs> and not a waste of my life. But this tricycle turns towards the audience member and he's basically just like, oh, oh, sorry for the confusion. I'm not a character. I'm just an audience member. I'm just watching, you know, go kill some of the characters. I'm just a, a non-active participant. And then the tricycle kills the veteran and blows him up. And, you know, the shrapnel from his wheelchair goes flying and all of this stuff. And this, I think my notes I literally wrote were, I'm 14 and this is deep. The audience is an active participant in the film. And I just like cringe <laughs> at like the, the, the meaning or the message they're trying to send is just like, Hey, yep. Once again, if whether he meant it or not, he said that the audience is an active member of whatever art they are experiencing. Therefore, they have influence on said art. And on top of that, the art kills the audience. It, it kills its own final audience member to go on and have a life of its own. Uh, it's, it is a very, I'm 14 and this is deep. And I know we throw that phrase around a lot, but this time it, it's mm -hmm. more true than I think ever before. <laughs> So the, the last moments of this fucking horror show, <laughs> and I don't mean to like, if you enjoyed this film, if you're like Jake and you enjoyed it, I'm not like, no offense to each their own. I just hated it. <laughs> and then maybe you enjoyed uh, and it. And I'll say to the people who did enjoy this film, 
just be self-aware. Be aware that a lot of people are not also going to enjoy this film. I, I think film nerds enjoy it for the same reasons I do. I think a lot of non-film nerds, and I mean that with all the greatest respect in the world, will fucking hate this film, and I understand why. Just don't bug your non-film nerd friends for not liking this movie, because it's not fucking worth it. Different folks, different strokes. That rhymes. <laughs> Wasn't it supposed to rhyme? <laughs> it's a slant rhyme. Anyway, this fucking tricycle rides off, and it, while it's doing so, it awakens a bunch of tires, and it has a tire army now, and it's going to conquer the world or something. Finn, the end. I think that's all that happens. That That's pretty much it, yeah. The, the tricycle leads its very diverse tire army <laughs> and they're going to hollywood because we're gonna take down the entire film industry now fucking i'm 14 and this is deep <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> seriously this guy could not be more pissed off at the film industry he just couldn't be there he is so angry with the film industry in as a whole at this point and he's he doesn't even realize i don't think how angry he is with it how disappointed <laughs> he is with it it's almost painful to see a director so unaware of himself that's kind of the message i got as well i can understand if you're mad at the the film industry i'm sure they've done plenty of shitty stuff but like maybe it's you like maybe your art people don't enjoy it like it doesn't mean it's bad art like some people can enjoy it but if 60 or 70 percent of the population doesn't like it doesn't make your art bad it just means it's not popular popularly enjoyable i think this is a big example of an artist taking themselves too fucking seriously for instance i create things all the goddamn time i don't put very much of it out into the world except for this podcast I mean, I enjoy the content you and I create together a lot, so I think other people should listen to it. But my other projects and things, I pretty much just make for myself, and I sit here and I watch them or listen to them or read them by myself, and I don't put them out anywhere, and I'm fine with that. This guy, however, he clearly thinks everything he makes is a goddamn treasure that should be loved by the public. And it kind of shows in this interview that I read because not only is he a director and writer and everything, but he also creates music. And he talks about how he was upset with the publisher he went through for his first movie because they only put it in French theaters and there's only like 500 French screens total. And he was upset that he didn't have a worldwide audience, even though his music has a worldwide audience thanks to the internet and everything. You can create your own music, throw it up somewhere on the internet, and everyone in the world can listen to it instantly. He was very upset about this, and that's why he decided to make his second feature film in America in English. Because a movie in French just doesn't get seen by as many people. That was his thinking mm. behind it, was I'm gonna go make an American movie in English, that way everyone will see it and people will see my art. It's very shallow, it's, like I said, it fucking hurts me now that I know more about this director. I thought, I thought he was a very smart, cunning, self-aware guy, and the more and more I learn about him, the more and more I kind of hate him. I wanna go watch some more of his movies, 
to find out if he really is this unaware or if this is just an act he's been putting on about this movie specifically so he didn't piss people off. Yeah, and, you know, message to director Blumbaum. Don't, <laughs> Don't be too I forgot, shitty. I forgot it. I forgot it. I forgot it. I'm just, it. I'm just saying, Dupu. if I ever get to actually direct something, I want people to at least say my name when they're disparaging my art, okay? I forgot his name. All right, Dupu, Director Dupu. <laughs> it seems like you're going for something here, and it's not for me, and that's fine, and maybe other people like it. I just didn't, and that's okay. I cannot like things if I don't want to. Absolutely. It is It is okay to like a movie. It is also okay to not like a movie. I don't care what end of the spectrum it's on. Everything is made for someone. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's it's true. It's like I said in Romeo plus Juliet. I'm sure some people find Claire Danes amazingly attractive. I do not. And I'm sure... <laughs> Some people fucking hate this movie. I still really enjoy it. <laughs> Do you want to hear the pitch? Okay. So this was a moment. Wait, wait. Yeah, I got to come up uh, with a Klaus's movie pitch jingle. We really need to come up with one. <laughs> like just you saying Klaus's movie pitch. And then we put some shitty tone music behind it or something. Ooh, how about this pitch, please? <laughs> Yes, good. that's your segment. <laughs> pitch please right, with pitch Klaus. Please. <laughs> <laughs> so the, there was a moment when the tire was watching TV and experiencing culture, and I was just like, man, what if instead of a tire, there is, you know, they're built, they're digging out this garbage landfill, which explains all the garbage, mm -hmm. and they accidentally dig up like a burial ground, and there you out crawls the skeleton, and he's in pieces. And that's why he's shambling at first and he slowly is coming to life and everything he kills because he's haunted and evil for a reason. Like uh, there has to be a reason. Obviously, Number one, that's how you fix the movie. <laughs> There's a reason. It's uh, it hates the landfill people who dug up his people's grave. There you go. Reasonable one. And everything he kills, he goes from skeleton to slightly less skeleton. So a little bit of sinew grows back. Every time he kills and eventually every person he kills, it grows back. And maybe I just had this wonderful vision of when he's sitting on the bed watching TV as the tire is, but it's this half skeleton, half meat body with flesh and a little bit of skin that's grown back at this point because he's killed enough people watching this culture and just being like, I was buried, you know, 2000 years ago or whatever. <laughs> I'm a caveman or something watching film and just trying to understand like, what the fuck is this culture and this box and these people and so that's my pitch just make it not a tire make it a, a person and that grows back as they would kill. it have a similar ending to the cabin in the woods where the antagonist would just finally be like you know what this world doesn't deserve to go on i think so yeah yeah <laughs> and then all humans of... had their chance <laughs> yeah they fucked that up didn't they <laughs> So that's that's my pitch. Make it a person. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I understand this director's want to do a weird non-human character. The tire thing, I think it works really well. And I think the puppetry and the visual storytelling of the tire 
is done absurdly well considering what it is. But mm -hmm. I, I also understand very few people are going to connect with a tire no much no matter how much personality you give it. So And that's something I'm thinking about too, because there's other haunted item movies, obviously. And they're not all humanoid like dolls. Mm -hmm. Some of them are necklaces and rings and diaries, but there's something with a connection to a person or an entity that can think and a tire, like the idea of a haunted tire or even like a haunted car or vehicle. Mm -hmm. A haunted house has been done, but that has a direct connection to someone that the house isn't haunted because the wood is mean. <laughs> it's haunted because the people did something bad or something bad happened in the right. house. It's not just the house itself. Yeah, there's some sort of stain left on left on the raw materials from human interactions. It's not just the material itself. Exactly. And that's kind of what I what was weird about this tire is it's just rubber. <laughs> and it's there's not a tie to something else. That isn't just a raw material. So what you're saying is you needed the tire's full backstory. I needed a backstory. Because <laughs> I'm I'm thinking now, you know, if there was a haunted house and the backstory was the wood was mean, I would buy into it if the wood used to be a forest and there's like a nature spirit vibe that's pissed off because it's been turned into a house or something. I've got a I've got a pitch please moment here. <laughs> okay, so you know the suicide forest in Japan? Sure. You make your house entirely out of trees that are felled from the suicide forest in Japan. Oh. And it becomes the most haunted house in fucking existence. Tell me that's not a fucking idea. Yeah. Come on. That's that's way better than this movie. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm going to The bar is so I'm, low, but that's a great I'm gonna idea. I'm going to make a note of that for my next screenplay work or that might be what I abandon my current screenplay to work on later. <laughs> I haven't worked on my current screenplay in months. But yeah. <laughs> uh, we're dancing around it, so let's just get to our themes. Yeah, so so that was Rubber. What do you think, what are the connections or, or patterns we saw in this movie as it pertains to the subgenre, the themes we might have saw? I think the biggest one in this one that ties back to our previous two would be the almost senseless amount of gore. Th this is a mm -hmm. dark comedy horror movie, similar to The Cabin in the Woods, and both of those movies use overdone gore effects to really get across this is a horror movie. <laughs> and to a point, Oculus uses some great gore effects. Uh, it's not as overdone and as outlandish as these other two movies, but it's a more serious movie. And when the gore does show up, it's fucking visceral. You actually feel the pain that the characters are feeling because it is so realistic and gross. I think that's the biggest one we can take away from all of this. You've got your normal old horror tropes, which we've talked about, which are, it, this kind of plays like a serial killer movie, which we haven't really done much of so far, but the whole showing this character, the tires, quote unquote origin story of just waking up and immediately seeing how much power it has over the other beings that are in this wasteland, becoming a psychopathic killer, and then becoming obsessed with one of these creatures that it could easily just lay waste to, going on with it like that, not immediately attacking everything it sees, and becoming more and more self-aware and more and more questioning of its own existence. It's a very serial killer type of thing. 
especially from a more sympathetic horror movie view, which unfortunately a lot of horror movie serial killer stuff, they have way too sympathetic a view for the killer, and it really turns me off. But it is a trope, and it comes up a lot. I think that's the biggest ones for this one. It is a dark comedy, so you have your very silly horror... Uh, comedy tropes in there as well of just misunderstandings and breaking the fourth wall which we did a, we did a lot in the cabin in the woods as well you you liked breaking yeah. the fourth wall in that movie you hated it in this one i did yeah do you even know why you like that one so much more than this as far as breaking the fourth wall goes is that something you can quantify I don't know if I could clearly communicate why. Because in Crab in the Woods, you're completely right. Broke the fourth wall often. But it, but it almost felt like, did they break the fourth wall directly? Or was that whole subplot a very obvious mockery of the fourth wall? Or did they actually break Tell it? Tell me if I'm wrong, but I think this is what you're looking for here. The difference between the cabin in the woods and this is the cabin in the woods is very clearly saying these are our characters that are stand-ins for our writers, and this is our chance as writers to speak directly to the audience. Whereas in this movie, I'm telling you that nothing has any meaning, but everything feels like it has meaning because we all know deep down it does have meaning for the writer. The writer wouldn't go through all the trouble of creating this if he didn't have some meaning behind it. The Cabin in the Woods just feels more genuine and more honest, whereas this feels like a complete subterfuge from the start. I think so. And I think the other part is with the cabin in the woods, the stand-ins for the writers were still actually characters. Like they could communicate all this stuff without actually breaking the fourth mm -hmm. wall. I mean, you could very clearly tell like this is a message from the writers, but it's spoken through a character who is not actually technically breaking the fourth mm -hmm. wall. They didn't stare into the camera and say this. They stared at another character and said something that has a secondary message. And those characters, while they are stand-ins for the writers, they are also their own character. They have their own exactly. things going on and their own point of view. Whereas this, it's mm -hmm. very clear, probably multiple characters are literally just the writer-director. Just doing and saying things that the writer and director wants to do and say. And there's no other character underneath that. Yeah, and I think my other issue with Rubber is it kind of, and maybe it wasn't intentional, but it kind of felt like a fuck you to the audience. It, it felt like purposeful making this not enjoyable because fuck you, you're too stupid to understand it or, or whatever the reason is. It, it felt like intentional. It felt malicious, the disenjoyment of the film. I totally agree with that. And like I said earlier, whether he meant to or not, I think he was making a big fuck you statement to everyone who watched this because you're all just dumb animals. Even the people who like my mm -hmm. stuff are stupid and don't understand the full meaning behind it. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Poor... Poor, poor Depew. I, I, I feel yeah. bad for him. Also, his name reminds me of Pepe Le Pew, so I can't really get that out of my head either. The other point that I thought of when you said, you know, this is a dark horror comedy or, or whatever, however you mm -hmm. described it, is largely, except for maybe a few moments when like it's watching TV, presumably at night, I don't think we had a whole lot of night scenes. Like, all of this was during the day, as far as I remember. Which is a fun horror thing to do, is to 
have it all take place during the day. I think that speaks more to their small budget of this movie because getting people to come out and shoot late at night is much more expensive <laughs> and much more, I don't know, a pain in the ass than just doing everything in the middle of the day when people are expecting to be working. I mean, we've we've seen more and more horror try to do the daytime horror stuff. Just look at more recently hereditary the end of that movie basically takes place completely at night a lot of that movie is daytime horror which is interesting you have shit what was that other movie midsummer midsummer was almost entirely during the daytime and you have these weird unsettling things happening under the bright light of day uh, it's it gives a weird creepy feeling when you know it's not just at night when the monsters come out kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your, what are your final thoughts on this film? What rating would you get? Would you recommend watching this or not? Or what do you think? This is really hard for me to rate. I, I'm going to have to talk myself through it and then come up with a number at the end. Mr. Quentin Depew, I think you have a lot of issues deep down with your art process and your feelings with the entertainment industry and audiences. I think you had a lot of stuff to work out and I think you worked it out on paper and then decided to go ahead and make it a movie despite the fact that you knew a lot of people wouldn't enjoy it and you kept telling yourself that you were trying to make something fun for people to enjoy without any meaning behind it while stuffing it full of your own feelings. I don't know if it was purposeful that you lied to yourself and to everyone else trying to say that there was no meaning, or if you just did this by accident and this is how it came out, I don't know. Either way, it feels it feels as if you're just straight up lying to your audience, and it feels as if you are mocking everyone that enjoys anything ever. It's a very cynical view to take, but it is the one I am more more likely to take than not. I don't know, I still enjoy this movie. And I appreciate that you made it. I think it's funny and fun. And it is great to have on in the background at a party because every once in a while you can look over and watch someone's head explode. But ultimately, it's too slow. There's too many low points and your message gets muddled and only gets more muddled the more people look into it. So I think I'm going to give it a 5.5. Out of 10. Uh, I know that face you're making at me, Klaus. I know. I enjoy it a lot. But if I'm grading it on everything I know about it, which is the only way I can do it now, you get the point for showing the girl's ass. Hooray. <laughs> that kept you above a five. <laughs> Good job. Everything else was a muddled fucking mess. That's all I have to say. Klaus, have some comments here. Sure, sure. So going off the pattern of comparing it to a meal, I felt like this was, like you said, a very disgruntled chef who has some ability, you know, in the kitchen. And it was made in a decent kitchen with good equipment, enough, you know, better than your average just home kitchen. And he said, it doesn't really matter what ingredients you use. It doesn't matter at all. You can you can make whatever with whatever you want, but then intentionally like put garlic in ice cream and intentionally like chopped up pieces of concrete and put it in the spaghetti, like maliciously made a meal, but like used excellent technique. 
you know, your your knife technique was very good. The cutting board was very good. You heated the, you know, the poison ivy the salad that you made. You, you made an amazing vinaigrette to put on top of it, but it, it seemed to be an intentionally bad meal that was served and then said, hey, look, if you think this is bad, you're you it's you <laughs> that are bad not me um yeah so so that's that's my that's my metaphor is that this was a seemed to me an intentionally bad meal prepared by someone who knows enough about cooking to make a very bad meal on purpose and i did not enjoy it if you did that's fine Maybe you know more about film than I do or whatever. Maybe you're a better person, as <laughs> Director DuPont might make you believe. Numerically, I would give this a zero. I've never <laughs> given a film a number. I did not enjoy this experience. I will say, if if you are going to brave it and watch it, I would not watch this film just by yourself. I would watch it with people or, or watch it separately and come together and talk about it. Because there's things you can talk about it, even if you didn't enjoy the experience. But I would not just watch the 100 and, you know, the hour and 20 something minutes on your own without planning to watch it with people or talk about it later. Yeah, just to be clear, this is an 82 minute movie. So despite the fact that we had the whole subplot and everything, we still couldn't make it to 90 minutes. Even with our very long intro credits, even with our long drawn out monologues and everything else, there's a lot of fucking silence. I, I do have to say I enjoyed the music to this movie a lot. I, I think the mm -hmm. music gives as much character to the tire as anything else. It really it, it kind of helps get across the emotion, but it wasn't enough to save anything. That's for sure. I would second that. I, I agree. I think the music, there were several points where I wrote down notes about the music, so I agree. I'm, I'm with you all the way through this. There's a lot of problems. I I would say, like you, if you're going to watch it, watch it with someone, even if it's just a friend. I've, I've seen this movie twice now. The first time I watched it with a girlfriend years ago, and the second time I watched it last weekend with a friend of mine who I've known for years. And we had fun just making fun of the stupid parts of the movie and talking about it afterwards, trying to figure out what the fuck was this direction director thinking so yeah go do that don't watch it with your pretentious friends if you have pretentious movie nerd friends do not watch it with them because they will be annoying as fuck throughout the entire thing or if you have pretentious writer or artist friends i wouldn't watch it with them either just stick stick to your very base normal people while watching this movie because everyone else is probably going to be an asshole about it i'm sort of an asshole about it but i'm okay with that yeah. <laughs> I, I am glad I got to torture you at least once out of our four movies this month. <laughs> uh, I, I don't say this in a bad way, per se, because we got to talk about it and, and get it off my system. But this was a miserable experience. <laughs> like, I'm fine with it. It's worth it. Maybe someone will enjoy my misery who listens to the podcast. But it was I did not enjoy this at all. <laughs> Oh, well, that gives me endless delight. So <laughs> I think we've spent more than enough time talking about this movie. From what we've said, you can probably figure out if you want to watch it or not. Do or don't. I don't give a shit. I don't think anyone gives a shit at this point. It's a fucking 10-year-old movie. So next week, we are watching 
The Refrigerator, 1991, directed by someone. Fuck, why do I always do this? <laughs> is this... Can you assure me that it is not just another rubber? This is not a rubber. And here's okay. here's why. The people who made this are not nearly as smart as <laughs> Mr. Depew. <laughs> and they just made a schlocky, cheap horror film... Back in 1991. The only reason I know about this movie is because my sister and her friends, when they were in high school, especially during the summer, at least once a week, we would all go to the video warehouse together, rent a shitty looking VHS horror movie, and bring it back to the house and we'd all watch it together and just talk through the whole thing and laugh at it and have a good fucking time. Which is, I'm sure, where my love of shitty horror movies comes from. And this is one of the movies we picked out <laughs> forever ago. You have to understand, my sister's nine years older than me. So when I say she was in high school, she was probably 17, 16, 17. I was probably five or six or eight somewhere in that area, somewhere between six and eight years old, watching these really horrible R-rated or unrated horror movies with my sister and her friends, getting exposed to things that under 10-year-old boys probably shouldn't be exposed to for several more years, but, you know, it is what it is. I have a weird sense of humor and taste now, but thanks, sis. <laughs> <laughs> so next week we're watching the comedy fantasy horror The Refrigerator 1991 directed by Nicholas Jacobs. Yeah. Uh fantasy horror. What does that mean? <laughs> well, let's just say this movie's not grounded in reality at all. <laughs> Is this like a Narnia thing? It's where, not like, that. <laughs> they open their refrigerator, they go into the refrigerator, and now they're in Lord of the Rings land. I would watch that. So, the reason I put this movie at the end of our list is because it's the perfect movie to have on at a Halloween party. I know there's not going to be very many Halloween parties going on this year because of COVID and everything. But, hey, if you're sitting at home alone and you want something funny and stupid that you don't have to necessarily pay attention to the whole way through, this is it. On top of that, the only place I could find to watch it is on YouTube in a playlist that has the entire movie broken up into nine videos <laughs> so we're going real janky with this one <laughs> I, I literally couldn't find it on amazon or fucking anything like not to rent not to buy it's nowhere i have a feeling the publishers went away fucking years ago so it's impossible to find yeah just go find it on youtube and watch it there give youtube some more ad revenue i guess because they need it <laughs> They really do, you know? They really do. But yeah, it's it's about a refrigerator that has a portal to hell in it or something like that. And it okay. eats people. <laughs> Spoilers. Okay. Spoilers. <laughs> um, yeah. So get ready for that, everyone. Uh, please please go watch The Refrigerator. I haven't watched it since I was under 10 years old, and I don't remember hardly anything about it. So here we go. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> this has been real specific. Have fun. I'm Jake. <sighs> I'm Klaus. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Uh, Klaus was then killed by uh, a psychokinetic tire. And <laughs> I think part of me did die, though. <laughs> like a little piece of me did actually die. <laughs>
Oh, 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 oh,